This is Timestamp, the podcast dedicated to capturing this moment in time. I'm Amy Breslow. Today's episode, In the Face of Uncertainty. My guest today is Rodrigo, who identifies as a documented mestizo. I'm originally from uh, Nayarit, uh, Mexico. And so when I lived in Mexico, I was just Mexican. That's that's what it was. And um, by some turn of events, my family migrated to Phoenix and all of a sudden I became an undocumented person. And so for some time I kind of started to identify in that way. Now I have DACA, uh, which allows me to have a work permit and deferral of deportation and whatnot. I think the interesting thing about coming to the United States was that I went from being a Mexican in Mexico, which is, as you would guess, kind of the normal thing, (laughs) uh, to being a Mexican in the United States. And that was a very, very different experience. In Mexico, I was normal identity. But when I came to the U.S., being Mexican meant being something less than, uh, and specifically being less than white. And Mexicans were seen as criminals, as uh, people that were not capable of academic study and so many other other stereotypes that existed. And it was a, a shock to me to be in this place where people immediately, without even knowing me, just thought that I was less than they were. So that was an interesting thing. I do have DACA, um, and so that's a big part of my identity because it, it shaped my life. DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it's an immigration policy that undocumented youth advocated for to provide deportation relief to millions of undocumented immigrants who arrived to the U.S. before they were 16 years old. And this relief provides these immigrants a reprieve from deportation and a work permit to work in the U.S., So I think for me, something that I'm experiencing is this life where I just graduated from from Harvard, from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. I think I'm in this really interesting place in my life where I am back home and I'm living with my parents while I'm looking for for the next thing that I'm going to do. And it's been a rough four months being, being back home because I had not been home in, in a very long time, but I just started to be really grateful for for all the things that that my parents provided for me. And it's it's so powerful because you know they came to this country without knowing anyone, without documents, without the right to work legally. But they just knew they they had a dream and they wanted to to make that dream a reality. And so they worked really hard doing jobs that that maybe they would not have done back in their home country to explain. My mom is a chemical engineer in Mexico, or was in Mexico, it's been so long. 
She graduated in the 80s. You know, she couldn't make a living in Mexico because of, of the way that Mexico is. And she came to the U.S. and for the past 20 years, she has ironed clothes to put a roof over my family's head, to put food on the table. And I'm just so grateful for that, that she worked for that. She had faith that things would turn okay. And I think right now in these past four months, as we're heading into an election, I just, it just feels like we're at a really big inflection point where this election does really seem um, to be had to, that this election seems really important because I'm now 29, you know, I've gone to college, went to get a master's and now I'm thinking, man, I really want to be able to give back to my family. I want to, you know, get a really great career, give back to all the sacrifice my parents have made. But at this point, I don't really know what's going to happen. It really does depend on who wins, on whether I'll be able to give back to my family or not. And that's just really upsetting to me <laughs> to have worked so hard and, and having the possibility that it could all be taken away. I hope that I can make them proud because, because of what how they've helped me and they continue to be a pillar in my life. And I don't know like what the emotion is. I think it's all of the above, probably like scared, anxious, unsure of, of what I'll be able to do. And my mind goes so many places. I think, okay, if, if I'm, if I get to stay here in the U S then, then that's great. I can look into, you know, staying here and, and establishing myself here. But if it turns out that I can't stay in the United States, I think, oh my God, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to Mexico? What's that going to be like? Do I go to Canada? <laughs> Who do I know in my network that's uh, that's already made the, the trip up to Canada and figured that system out? I don't really know what I'm going to do. And it's also heartbreaking because, I mean, I have my whole life here in the United States and I don't want to leave, but part of my mind is almost already preparing for the eventuality of the worst case scenario happens. What am I actually going to do for now? I think the best strategy for me has been to put that aside and, and say, okay, let's focus on, on the best case scenario and thinking about how I can stay here in the U S and how you continue to build my life and my foundation here and, um, and help my family to make it through. And so, Right now, my mom is at a really interesting stage in her life where she has decided that, you know, she doesn't want to iron clothes anymore. She wants to start a business. And so she started making empanadas and offering them to her friends. And she's been getting a lot of people buying from her. And, and that's really exciting to see my mom start a business. And so I've been taking the time to, to help her with the skills that I have which I have no skills in the kitchen, but I can help with spreadsheets and Excel and how should you price the empanadas and and all that that thinking. And it's it's also frustrating helping her at the same time because since she you know since she is undocumented, there's there's limitations on on how she can move about, you know, transport herself if she wants to deliver empanadas. If she wants to open a bank account, there are so many roadblocks <laughs> for her to 
to just you know to to be a person and be a business owner that that it's upsetting but i'm here for it i'm gonna help her out as much as i can and figure figure things out i feel like you know that's the least that i could do to help her for me the theme in my life right now is to empower immigrant communities to flourish when some people look at immigrant communities they see probably the worst in people but when i look at immigrant communities i see the best of humanity i see courage entrepreneurship love power and what i've been scheming about is ways to empower the immigrant community and be supportive because we have not had that support and love for the past four years and so i think it was in 2017 where i got together with a couple of friends and we created this program that's called the immigrant scholarship hustle program at the time we noticed that daca wasn't going to be around for for younger students in the past four years there has been this kind of resurgence of undocumented students who don't have access to a work permit don't have relief from deportation and we've been thinking about ways on how to support these students because they don't have kind of the, these tools and these benefits where they can on their own try to get an education try to get work and they have this uncertainty like i'm having my own uncertainties about Oh my god like am i going to be able to get a job am i going to be able to stay here they have the same uncertainties and i feel like they have even less assurance that they're going to be able to make it and so we created this program with the little capacity that we had we figured you know what is the best way that we can support these students and a lot of times when undocumented students want to go to higher education the biggest roadblock is money you know these students have everything going for them academically they're ready for for a college education or post-secondary education, but they don't have any support in order in a, to, to be able to go to college. So we felt that if we worked with them and helped them to apply to scholarships, that we'd be improving or maximizing the probability that that they could go to college if they were able to win a scholarship here or there that it would improve their chances that they could enroll in college and continue to develop themselves. The biggest thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, I felt like we figured out a system to support students. I've also just started to acknowledge that the problems that our undocumented immigrant community faces are way bigger than whether or not they're going to be able to get a scholarship. So I've just been thinking about that a lot, about how we can create systems here in Arizona to support immigrants in other facets of, of, of life, like supporting their parents start a business. Clearly, I'm thinking about that because that's something that my family's going through. But I know immigrants are entrepreneurial, and a lot of times they don't have access to these resources, uh, money to start a business, permits the knowledge even of how to start a business here in Arizona. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, yeah, this is, I think this is an important election. I think it's just important to, to share, you know, these, these 
emotions of, of support, I think it's super important. I think one of the things that I experienced in 2016 that, that I'm really afraid of going into this election is the fact that, you know, we had family friends who know we're immigrants, who know we're undocumented immigrants, who voted basically to make our lives horrible <laughs> in 2016. And, and that's one of the things that's like the scariest right now. It's like, oh man, there's so much uncertainty. Yeah, the polls are the same like they were in 2016. Huge percentage uh, possibility that, that, that someone is going to win. But then th- that, that didn't happen in 2016. And I'm like, like I said before, really anxious about that. And I think the other response that I've had <laughs> toward about um, what's going on is, okay, if, if things don't happen the way the way that I that I want them to that I then what am I going to do and and part of me wants to escape and think about plan B and going to a different country and I think another part of me says no I'm gonna stand up I'm I'm here in the U.S. I feel like I've made a community I'm an integral part of this society of my community at least I'm not gonna take it I can't At some point, you have to draw the line. I got COVID in June of 2020. And I quarantined at home. So I came into my house. No one was there. I went straight to my room and I quarantined there. My dad is what I would consider an essential worker. He works in construction. And so he would be working during this time. He'd go out to a Home Depot, different meet with different clients. My sister was also an essential worker, so she was still working. So we don't know whether my family as a whole got the virus uh, from me traveling or from my dad being a, a construction worker. But we know that it was a horrible experience. The best way that I could explain kind of the emotion, my dad went to get a test. I think it was a Wednesday in the first week of June. And when he came back, he just said, I have bad news. And he said, I tested positive. And I think at that point, we all knew we had it. We all live in a, in a small house that's about 1,100 square feet. So at that point, we all knew. And I think the first question my mind asked me was, are we going to die? (laughs) Because you don't know with this virus. You have no idea what type of symptoms you're going to get. You have no idea if you're going to be one of the survivors or one of the people that ends up in a body bag. For me, as someone that comes from a low-income family, I also ask myself, holy shit, what am I going to do if my parents need hospitalization? We don't have access to healthcare here in Arizona. There is undocumented immigrants have access to emergency healthcare, but then I thought to myself, "Is COVID covered?" I have no idea. And then I just felt a lot of rage because I felt like our leadership had done a freaking horrible job of assuring the American people that we could handle this. I didn't 
have any idea of, of what was available to me. Sure, I could go and get tested, you know, if I stood in line for like eight hours here in Phoenix. But then after that, what do I do? And if there's a cost to this thing, is it going to ruin my life and my family's life? I had no idea. And I had no recourse. So I just remember all the time with my family, we would just like honestly hope that it didn't get bad. Thankfully for three of us in, in our family, we had mild symptoms, fever, loss of taste, loss of smell, fatigue, headaches. It was doable. My dad, I was really afraid of. Not afraid of. I was at some point afraid of my dad, but I was afraid of for my dad at this point. He got the nastiest uh, symptoms. He was having difficulty breathing. And so one of my aunts brought us an oxygen uh, monitor and we started monitoring his oxygen. And the recommended uh, oxygen level is about, you know, 95%. If, if it falls below 90%, then, then it can cause damage to your, to your system. And so we were just monitoring my dad and he was, you know, 95, 92, 90, then the week after 86, 83. And we started to get like really anxious about, oh my God, what's going to happen? And we were trying to figure everything out, like all the home remedies. I would call my friends who were doctors and they would tell me, we just don't know enough about this virus. I don't even know like what to tell you or how you can deal with this because we've never seen this. So there just wasn't even the knowledge of how to, how to deal with this. And thankfully, you know, some of the home remedies worked. We had my dad walking around the house so that he could do a little bit of exercise, exercise his lungs and get breathing. And that helped. And his oxygen levels went from 83 to 86 to 90 to 92. And then he got better. But man, that's just luck. You know, there, there was no rhyme or reason to this. And to see the leadership of the United States take this crisis so nonchalantly is really, really upsetting. I could have lost my life. I could have lost my parents. I could have been in financial ruin. And, and these guys out there just not caring at all. And now that he has it, I hope he loses the election. And I hope he realizes the damage that he caused the nation for years to come. You know, here, here I am, this immigrant kid from South Phoenix, <laughs> you know, trying to make the world <laughs> a better place <laughs> like his parents and educators <clears throat> taught him to and when i watched the debate i just felt like someone shit on me i said here i am trying to make the world a better place here we are hundreds of thousands millions of people that want to make the world a better place and here's this dude just shitting on us just like literally shitting on us not letting us get a word out all we get in terms of a vision for where we're going as a as a country are these grunts and these nasty looks and it's just really upsetting to someone like me and I feel like to so many of us who 
want to make the, the world a better place and we're going to fight whoever ends up winning to make the world a better place. Thanks for listening. Timestamp is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and original music by Maddie Schuler. You can find us at timestamppodcast.com and can subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well. Thank you.